0: Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we're going to finish our study tonight. We've seen so much information over these weeks. We've seen key truths to help us have victory. This lesson, we're focusing on rewards. And then we end up by looking at what I call key relationships. And that's that's really a fun part. And we'll go through it. And over the weeks, we've seen the foundations of the Christian life. We've seen the details. And tonight, I I hope that we're challenged as we get to the end to, to think about how we live for Christ to make a difference for Him. Well, the truth is this. We need each other. Sometimes people say, I live the Christian life. I do my own thing. There's no such thing as a lone ranger Christian. There's no such thing as a believer who says, I don't need to go to the church. I don't need to get with other believers. I can do my own thing. I can worship God by myself. I can stay at home all by myself, and I could be fine. The Bible never says that. The Bible says that we meet together with believers with the gifts, talents, and abilities. And so we understand that we need each other. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if any man be what? In Christ, He's a new creation. Each of us is different with gifts, talents, and abilities. And so tonight as we finish, we're going to look at three things. What do you see Them one, two, and three? Number one is we're going to look at rewards. We're going to look at rewards. We've talked about them already. The last lesson dealt with rewards. Rewards are powerful because that's a motivation, a motivation to serve God. The second thing we're going to look at is key relationships in the body. Key relationships in the body. There are three we're going to just touch on. And then number three, the last thing is sort of a summary and a challenge. We're just going to sort of think about some of the stuff we've looked at over these weeks. And sort of put that together. So let's think about rewards. And if you notice that, there was the outline right there. And if this is what we saw last time we started with the introduction and then we contrasted salvation and discipleship. And then we saw that we're to get rewards. There was the charge to get them. And then we started talking about rewards and we actually just barely looked at the place. And so tonight we're going to start with the place and the basis. Where do we get the rewards? What's the basis for the rewards? Then we're going to spend some time on what are the rewards and then application to make that, and that's just the reward part. So uh, let's begin with just a brief review. And, and we saw uh, that rewards deal with the Christian life and they're based on faithful service. Think about that, faithful service. God wants believers to run the race to get the prize. And the key is to discipline our bodies. You remember we talked last time about that Paul said, I, I buffet my body, I discipline my body so that I will not be what? Do you remember the word? Huh? Disqualified. And it has nothing to do with salvation. It has to do with gaining rewards. We saw at the end, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Therefore be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your what? Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. That means you're going to have rewards when you serve Him. So here's what we want to look at. Down at the bottom of the page where it says getting the reward. A is the place, the place that we get it. B is the basis for the rewards. The basis for the rewards. And we talked a little bit about this, so go ahead and go to the top of the next page, and we talk about the place of getting rewards. And if you want to put under there, the place where we get rewards is called the judgment seat of Christ. A lot of times we'll just put judgment seat of Christ. And the word judgment is Bema, B-E-M-A, and it means reward. It's it's a reward stand. It's a place uh, a, a place that you give an account, so to speak. So look at 2 Corinthians 5.10. Look what he says there. For we must all appear where? Before the judgment, see to Christ, so that each one of us be recompensed for the deeds in this body according to what they've done, whether good or bad. And we'll talk about what bad means, because the word bad means worthless, and we'll talk more about it in a minute, because we're going to come back to this. There is a time, this is what's amazing, we talked about it last week, that every one of us in this room who know Christ is Savior, and my assumption is everybody in our room has trusted Christ, and so we're saved, and we're going to stand to, and with Jesus Christ, by ourselves. I don't think it'll be a long line where we're waiting for our turn. I think the, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I think if you die physically, you're going to stand right before Him right then. I think He'll, and that's when we we basically deal with that. And if if not, it will be a different way. And I, I I don't know. I just just what I see. And so the bottom line is the place is called the judgment seat of Christ. And and how we live now, this is what's amazing, how we live now affects the future. And not only, let me just show you one thing. You remember this is the outline, this is the church, this is the tribulation, this is the thousand year reign of Christ. So this is us now, and then there's the rapture and the tribulation, seven years, and then the kingdom, and then the eternal state. How we live now affects what's going to be like in the thousand year reign of Christ, the kingdom And then, as Peter calls it, the eternal kingdom, the eternal state. So how we live now will reflect reflect on how we serve then and how we serve even to eternity. So what a lot of people don't think, they they think it doesn't really matter about how you live now because when everybody goes to heaven, they call it going to heaven. Actually, we're going to live on the earth here and then on a new earth here. uh, People say, well, it doesn't matter. You'll all be the same. We will not all be the same. We will not all be the same. There's gonna be an aspect of each person you will all stand before we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be recompensed, given back, basically, for the deeds in the body. So the first aspect is the place, okay? Romans fourteen eleven, if you want to just write that down. Romans fourteen eleven he says, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, and by the way, Sunday morning one of the little ones said this verse. So then each one of us will give an account of ourselves To God, so we will. And uh, how do you feel right now? What if right now you stood before Christ? How would you feel? We'd all go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if you're, even when you when you think you're doing good, you say, yeah, Lee. When I stand before Him, I mean, it's going to be pitiful. I mean, that's how we think. And He knows that we are but dust. He loves us. Uh, He'll He will reward even a cup of cold water given. I mean, I think I think. That if you say, Lord, I just want my life to count for you. I'm doing everything I can. I want to live for you. I want to bring glory to you. That doesn't mean we're not going to mess up. But bottom line, he knows your heart. And he knows that you're trying to serve him in all of that. So that takes us to the second thing. And that's the basis for the rewards. And the basis for the rewards, it's often misunderstood. And uh, People think about it. But the bottom line in First Corinthians 4.2, it is required of stewards to be what? Faithful. A, that's the bottom line. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, wherever you are, wherever God has given you, whatever gifts, talents, abilities he's given you, whatever time he's given you, whatever money he's given you, whatever possessions he's given you, whatever he's given you, all he says is, I want you to be faithful. Faithful to serve me, wherever you are, whatever he's got. You've got to see this parable. We're going to eventually get to it on a Sunday morning, but turn to Matthew chapter 20. Just flip a few pages back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 20. And this parable has bothered a lot of people because I don't think some people don't understand it, okay? And, and we're going to see it, and it's, it's a great one, okay? Because it shows us that the key is faithfulness. Watch this. Matthew chapter 20, look at verse 1. Uh, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner, and he went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now he's giving a parable, and he's saying, the kingdom of heaven... This is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of earth. He said "This, this time period is going to be like this. It's going to be like this landowner who went out to hire laborers. And in those days, there was the the Agora, uh, and and that was the place where everybody kind of waited. And if somebody needed a job, they kind of waited until somebody would come and say, I need some help in my field. And this guy would say, I'll help you, those kind of things. He goes out to hire some laborers. When he agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day, he sent them in the vineyard. So they're going to work for a what? Verses 1 and 2, they're going to work for how much? A denarius is a day's wage. So let's pretend a day's day's wage is 50 bucks. I'm just making that up. He went and said, how many of y'all would like to work for me today? I'll pay you 50 bucks. They went, that's that's what everybody pays. Yeah. So they go, right? And and then look what happens. And he went out about the third hour. Now, the third hour is 9 o'clock in the morning. And he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to those, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is what? Right. Did he say, I'll give you a denarius? Huh? What did he say? Whatever's right. So look at verses of whatever, what is right. That's what he's promised them. I'll give you what's right. And so they went. And then it went out at the sixth hour, which is 12 o'clock. And the ninth hour, which is 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Now, listen, when time? when do they quit work? About around 6. So, so it's, he went out at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and said, I still need some help. There were some guys standing there. He said, you want to go? I'll go. And then look what he says. And the 11th hour, 5 o'clock. It's almost quitting time. Five o'clock, the guy went out at 11 o'clock. He went and found others standing around. He said, why have you been standing around here all day? (laughs) What have you guys been doing? And they said, well, because nobody hired us. He said, well, you're going into the vineyard too. Okay, so we've got it. Now, look what happened in verse 8. And when the evening came, the owner of the vineyard came, came to his foreman and said, call the laborers and pay them their wage. Start with the last group first. Last group worked how long? about an hour, and then another group worked about three hours, and another group worked about six hours, and another group worked about nine hours, and another group worked close to 12 hours, maybe maybe 11 or 12 hours. So look what it says. When those hired, the 11th hour came, they got a what? They got a day's wage. Okay? So they all, they all got paid what? They hired them, and, and they received and then theirs. And when the first people came through, they thought they would receive more. They're in the line, okay? And they see these early guys get a denarius and they go cool he, they worked only one hour and they got a Daenerys." and then the line moves up and the other guys and they said well those people didn't work the whole they got a denarius and so this guy gets up here and he said i worked all day long and he said here's your Daenerys." and he went well wait a minute uh <clears throat> he thought I should, he said uh, I thought I should get more and they received it. They grumbled at the landowner, saying, "Well, the last man worked only one hour, and you made them equal to us, and we bore the burden of the day." And he said to them, "What friend am I doing any wrong to you? What did I agree with you for, a, a Daenerys. And and then he said, "Is it take what's yours and go? If I want to give the last guy the same as you, so what? It's not for, Is it not long for me to do whatever I want to? It's my money. So the last shall be." First and the first, week. everybody's looked at that. Nobody ever knows what that means. But what is God rewarding here? What's this guy rewarding? Faithfulness. Listen, a guy was faithful to work an hour, he got a reward. The guy that worked six hours got a reward. The guy that worked 12 hours got a reward. Now, the reason he's throwing that out is let's think about this. Let's say that you trusted Christ when you were 20 and you lived to be 80 and you were on fire for Christ and so you worked for 60 years, right? You're pumped, right? But let's say you, somebody else starts to when they were 20, and they, were, and they got killed at 28. They only had eight years. You got 60 years. So you're going to get a lot more rewards, right? Well, that's what it looks like. You had 60 years to work, and the other guy only had eight. But what does God say? Well done, good and faithful. He didn't say, oh, you did a long time. It just, uh, listen, the bottom line is God rewards faithfulness. That's, I think, the purpose of this parable is to say, last shall be first, first shall be last. The bottom line is faithfulness is, is the equality aspect because none of us live the same amount. None of us have the same talents or abilities. None of us have the same privileges and responsibilities and place of service. There's some people who go to a remote part of the... I have a friend that went to... Um, oh, I can't... It wasn't Albania. It was... I can't remember what it was. It's the country right in there, and he worked there for uh, 12 years, and he saw four people trust Christ in 12 years. Wow. Okay, was he faithful? Yes. He was faithful. He was incredible, and and yet somebody somebody else may be here, and in 12 years you see a hundred people come to know Christ, or you teach 10 Bible studies. We're over there; he couldn't even get anybody to get in a Bible study. Okay, so who's faithful? Oh, you you are. You got a hundred people that trust the Christ, and you did 10 Bible studies. No, he was faithful with the place God put him, with the time God put him, and the abilities, everything else. So the bottom line, when you stand before Christ, what's, what What do we want to hear? Well done, good, and faithful servant. And so the bottom line is they all got the same because the idea was faithfulness. God rewards faithful service. Okay, now, if you want to flip back again to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where we were a while ago, and I want to show you something. Now, let me ask you something. Does that make you feel better? It should make us off because the bottom line is not how much you serve. The bottom line is not what you do. Now, when we, remember when we talked about spiritual gifts several weeks ago? And we said that some people with upfront gifts, people think that they got it better. Are they going to get more rewards? Like, I get to teach, so I'm going to get more than you because you set up chairs and I teach. Who gets, the, who gets it? If, if you're faithful, regardless, if you're faithful setting up chairs, if you're faithful teaching... In fact, the guy teaching has a has a little bit tougher aspect of it because it's going to be a stricter stricter judgment. And so, the bottom line is, it's not what gifts you have, it's not what talents you have, it's not what abilities you have, it's not the time that you have, it's not where God put. It's the bottom line, huh? Wow! It is. It it, it makes you go. All that matters is I'm what faithful. That's all that matters. Look at Second Corinthians chapter five. Look at verse nine. And and this is what he says. He says, listen. Um, back, back to verse 60. he says, let's have great courage because to be answered from the body is present with the Lord and we walk by faith and we have good courage and that's what we want. And then he says in verse 9, therefore, we also have as our ambition. What is our ambition? Our goal is to what? Whether at home or absent, to be what? Pleasing to the Lord. Our goal is to be pleasing to God. That's the goal. Don't you want to please him? Well, how are you going to please him? What do you got to do? Be faithful. That's, that's it, y'all. That's it. This is how you get the rewards. This is how it all works. And and the goal as we live on earth is to be is to hear him say, Well done. I'm very pleased. Sometimes, someday we're going to give an accounting and we want to hear him say, Well done. Now watch. If you go to the top of the next page, we're going to see this accounting in a little bit more detail. Look at verse 9 again. Therefore, we have as our ambition, this is our goal, this is our plan, to be pleasing to him, to the Lord. And then he explains. For why? Why do we have it as our goal to be pleasing him? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for the deeds in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Literally, good or worthless. We'll get back to it. Second Corinthians five ten. There are three parts. Okay, one, two, and three. Number one. Number one. There is a necessity for accounting. In other words, we're going to give an account. We're going to give an account. There's a necessity for accounting. You, he's not going to pass over and say, a couple of you don't worry about it. I, I'm not even going to check you. No, there's a necessity for accounting. You know, he's going to check everybody, okay? Number two, number two, the purpose is rewards. The purpose is rewards. Don't you feel good that the purpose is not your sin and how you failed? When you stand before God, is he going to... Go? I, I know people who actually think that as Christians, you're going to stand before God and he's going to bring up not only good things you've done, but all the bad things you've done. And I'm talking about the sin and the mistakes and the issues and the rebellion and everything you've ever done. And I've had people say, and they're going, to, everybody's going to see it. Does that sound right to you? well, that's what people are taught all their lives. You're going to stand before God and all your good and bad is going to be shown and everybody's going to be there and you're going to be ashamed and everything. Listen, when you stand before Christ, it has nothing to do with your what? It has nothing to do with your sin. It has nothing to do with your sin. It has to do with your faithfulness and your works. And so number two is that the purpose is rewards. Number three, the evaluation will be your deeds. The evaluation will be your deeds. So number one, the the necessity number two the purpose is rewards and number three the evaluation is your deeds so look at the, the as you come down to the next number one is we number one says we must all appear we must all appear he says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ all people will stand before him in fact not necessarily judgment seat of Christ but every human being is going to stand before Jesus Christ every knee will what. It didn't say Christian knees will bow. It said every knee will bow and every tongue will give praise to God. You know, unbelievers are going to actually praise Him. And you know what He'll say to them? I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Because you're not my child. Because you didn't trust me. It's not your deeds. Your deeds, your works and, and your sin and all that. That's all dealt dealt with. So everybody's going to stand before him. Believers will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, the rewarding stand. And so he says, therefore, uh, we must all appear before the judgment, the rewarding seat of Christ. Just remember that. It's Bema. It's reward stand. And That's at the beginning of the thousand. Well, this is what I said a while ago. Here's what, and let me just throw this up here real quickly, and I'll do it a little bit bigger so people can see it better. A lot of people say this. I'll just make thousand years long. Here's the church. Here's Christ. That's his first coming. This is the second coming to the earth. This is the rapture. And there's two views, actually three views, One view is that when the church is raptured out during that seven-year time period, we we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There's another view that says there's a 45-day time period that you find in the book of Daniel after he basically sets up the kingdom. And some people think that's the judgment seat of Christ. I don't believe either one of those exactly. I think to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. I think when you die, that's when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Not. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. There's no place in the Bible. The Bible doesn't say where this happens. It actually doesn't even say when it happens. All we know is that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be rewarded. So it could be, it could be the moment you die, the uh, moment of the rapture, all the church is brought up together and rewarded. It could be the moment you die, you'll be rewarded there. It could be even we go through all of this, and as we get ready to go into the kingdom, he does something there. Who knows? Nobody, nobody knows. He doesn't tell us. So here's the great truth is uh, we've been bought with a price. Therefore, we're to glorify God in our body. We belong to him. So he has the right to bring us up and say, let's talk about what you did with what I gave you. (laughs) Right? Because what did he give you? Tell me what he gave you. Huh? He gave you gifts. What else? Eternal life. Did he give you the Bible? (laughs) Did he give you the Holy Spirit? Did he give you fellow believers? Did he give you opportunities? I mean, think about it. Think of all the things that he gave you so that you could serve him. Okay, so we're going to stand before him. Number two, the number two there is the purpose is rewards, and it's rewards. It's not judgment. We we could be ashamed at his coming. Uh, because we don't get the rewards that we wish we'd have gotten or we could say to ourselves, I wish I'd have done more. But it's not, a, it's not a bad time like you've done all this sin because all our sins are already paid for. First John 2, 2, he's the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And if you notice, it says, We'll all appear be before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed. That That's given back, given back, given back. So you you did something for the Lord, and what he says is, I'll give it back to you. Have you ever thought about that he gave you the ability to serve him? He gave you the power to serve him. He gave you the opportunity to serve him. You serve him, and he says, I'm going to reward you for serving me. And you could say, well, you did it all. Yeah, I know, but I'm still going to reward you. He's amazing. He's amazing. The third thing is the evaluation is based on our works. Now, this to me is, is, the mo- is, is really amazing because when a believer stands before Christ, it's based on his works. When an unbeliever at the great white throne judgment stands before Christ, unbeliever, it's based on his what? His works. If anybody stand before Christ to be judged for their sin? Why? It's already placed on Jesus. Jesus took it all. The the wages of sin is death. He's the satisfactory payment not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. And so the payment for sin, our sin is removed as far as the east from the west. Sin is not the issue. So when people stand before Jesus Christ, whether it's here or here or here or here, when they stand before Jesus Christ, it is not based on on our sin. It's based on our works. He says, and this is number three, the evaluation will be based on our works. Notice what it says. For we must all stand before the judgment of Christ, to each one be peace, prince for the deeds of the body, according to what he has done, deeds, whether what? Good or, and the word bad means worthless. It actually is the word for rotten fruit. It's like, and I, do, I did this one time, I told this story, but uh, I was a single guy, and I never cooked anything, and I don't know why I bought bananas. I bought some bananas one time, and I took them home, I put them up. And, you know, I was coaching at the time, and, I, you know, I was gone and recruited. I came back, and one day I came back, and I was in my house for a while. I started thinking, what is that smell? You know, and I opened up, and there was this thing that was like, I don't know what it was. It was like black, and it was like this stuff that was dissolving. I thought it was like one of those creatures, like the invasion of the body snatchers. You remember the invasion of the body snatchers? But it was a banana that had just gone to nothing, see? And that's that's really the word for worthless. It's like rotten something. It's like something that you'd say, oh, no, no, I don't I don't want that. And so he's saying that you'll be judged for your deeds and some of them are, what? Worthless. Let me ask you this. You help a little old lady across the street. Is that a good deed or a bad deed? That's a good deed. But if you do it to be seen, it's what? Amen. Remember he said, you already got your reward. Do you want know Jesus teach him? If you do anything before men to be seen by men, you already have your reward. And so, when you stand before Christ, it's worthless because it's already, it's already happened. And so, bottom line... So, Second John chapter eight says, "Watch and be faithful." First John two twenty-eight says, "We don't want to be ashamed at His coming." I was looking for this verse last time; <laughs> I couldn't remember where it was, but it's in First uh, it's in First Corinthians chapter four. Um, I've got it as four verse five, and here's what he says: He says, "Do not go passing judgment before the time. You can't pass judgment." Wait till the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things in darkness and disclose the motives of men. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. You're going to get praise. One of these days, Jesus Christ, now you may say, I'm I'm pretty ashamed because I didn't do what I really should have done. But he's going to say, good job on that job on that he may not say well done good and faithful servant he may not say i've got places for you but you're going to get praise because if you've done anything in his name he will praise you that's a that's a really positive verse i think okay so what have we seen we've seen that you're going to stand where judgment seat of christ and, the, and everybody's got to stand the basis is what your deeds you're, you're going to get rewards and the basis is the deeds is your works so what did, what what should we be doing now? What should we be doing? Serving. Serving. We really should. And you know, I hate to say this, y'all, but don't you find it that um, it's not a really large number of Christians who serve? Do you agree or not? Am I wrong? I mean, when you know, when you when you start looking at who does ministry in almost every church, eighty percent of the people, twenty percent of the people do almost all the ministry. Twenty percent. And, and there's a whole bunch of people who just basically come in and go out. And I, I hate to say it, but the people who just come in and go out, uh, they're going to be the ones that he, he's not going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. So we want to we be faithful. So let's talk for just a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah. Can you serve outside the church? Oh, yeah, you can serve anywhere. Okay. Yeah, when I say serving the church. I'm talking about doing ministries and stuff. Now, you need people sometimes think, oh, I don't need a church. I'll just do my own thing. You're never supposed to do your own thing. You've got to have the body of Christ. There's an accountability aspect of being in the body of Christ. There's the whole aspect of using gifts, talents, abilities with other people and connecting with other people. But serve, ministry doesn't just happen right here. Ministry happens all over. When we go out these we always say you know, we gather for worship and training and we scatter for evangelism and service yeah we're touching lives out there so yeah you you could have, you know yeah all right now so let's talk for a minute we've seen judgment seat of christ we're going to stand there we're going to be rewarded we're all excited so let's talk about what are the rewards you ever thought about it? what is it going to be a bicycle i mean what are you going to get right hey i got a bicycle okay but you know Uh, what's it going to be? Well, there there are several things that are called rewards in the Bible. And the first one I got down at the bottom of the page is called crowns, okay? Just put down crowns. And we've heard today that one day you'll get a crown from God. There's two words for crown. There's a uh, Greek word diadem, which means like a king's crown. And there's a word stephanos, which means like a reward. And when Jesus comes, he comes wearing many what? What's on his head when he comes in Revelation? Anybody know? Many crowns. It's the word diadem. It means a king's crown. He got a bunch of them. Just think they're all stacked up on top of his head when he comes. Now, if you remember in First in, uh, Corinthians chapter 9, he says, run the race so that you may get the what? The prize, the crown. And, and he says, we do it. They, do, they, they run the race for... Uh, one that just fades away, but we want to get one for what? An eternal type crown. This is the word Stephanos. And that's what you want. You want Stephanos. You want a crown. And uh, you want to run the race and get the prize and get the Stephanos. And so that's, that's one of the terms used for rewards is a Stephanos is a crown. There's a second thing. It's the top of the next page. And it's the word treasure. Lay up what in, in heaven? What do you lay up in heaven? Treasure. You treasure. It's another concept of rewards is treasure. Matthew six, verse nineteen, if you want to write that down, he says this. He said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Not on earth. Why why not on earth? By the way, is it getting cold in here? Yeah, it, it we, we that thing went you wanna Doug can fix it. Doug Doug said it. Doug said it while ago. No, it wasn't working a while ago and Doug fixed it and it started coming my hands are actually cold and I don't usually even notice That when I'm teaching that I get cold, but yeah, okay. Let me let me just say this: Why why not lay up treasure on earth? well you can't take it away. Oh, I wish I'd have brought. I found something. I found something I'm gonna show one day. I found a a picture on the internet, and it's a hearse. And guess what it's pulling? The hearse is pulling a U-Haul. And, you know, you've always heard people say, you never see a U-Haul behind the back of a hearse. I, I've got a picture of one. But even then, the person's not what? They're not taking it with them. I mean, you know, let's just face it. Um, have you ever thought about um, the Egyptians and the people that they would take like a king and they put all this stuff in there with them, but guess what? It's still there. You know, it's still there. You, the, the reason we don't lay up treasure on earth is because it's temporary. Tell me the only thing that's eternal besides God. The Word, the word of God is eternal, right? Isaiah, I think it's 40, verse 8, the flower fades. It's either 40, verse 3 or 40, verse 8. I don't remember which it is. Where it says the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. And then what else is forever? People. 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 Everybody's going to last forever. Some people are going to be raised from the dead to spend eternity with Jesus Christ. That's called eternal life. And some people are going to be raised from the dead to spend eternity separated from Christ. That's called the what? The second death. If you've been going to Grow Group on Sunday mornings, you know we talked about the deaths and the, the kind of deaths that there are. And so this is... This is, so people last forever. So if you want to invest in something that's eternal, don't lay up your treasure on earth because it doesn't matter how good a car it is. It doesn't matter what it is. It's going to eventually just go away. It is, it is. It's, just, it's not going to last. It just, nothing does last. I mean, have you ever got a brand, how many, well, I, I don't recommend buying a brand new car because that's a lot of money and just wait till it's three years old and then let the depreciation go. But have you ever bought a brand new car? I mean, you you go look at that thing and it smells so good and you it's got all your button and everything on it. And, and you go, this is the most wonderful thing, and then like three weeks later, you go, uh, uh, it's not quite the same. It, it mean, nothing that you buy. It can't, things can never satisfy. We we have a, I teach a course that we haven't I haven't taught it lately, but it's uh, uh, biblical finances, and we do a whole lesson on the idea of people who invest in things and want things, and how things can't satisfy. And in Ecclesiastes, there's a there's a passage in Ecclesiastes that show you six reasons why you can't invest in things and it's really amazing it, it's because you become stingy when you invest it by, by the way you want if you want to break the power of greed you know that's how you do it if you're greedy and everybody's greedy you got to break the power of greed the only way you can do it is give stuff away just give away just start saying I'm, I'm going to trust God I'm going to give stuff away and all of a sudden the power of greed over you is broken and, and before you know it, you give, and then God keeps giving you more, and then you keep giving away, and God keeps giving you more. And you go, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do with all this stuff? I guess I'll just have to give it away. And that's what happens. And that's why the more you have and the more you give, the more God gives you and the more you give. So he says, look, don't lay up treasure on the earth because it's, it's, it's just people steal it, it, it tears up, it breaks. And then he says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And, and no, nothing can happen to it. It's eternal. So, the first one is crowns. You know, people talk about crowns. The second one is people say treasure. And so, that's another aspect of what the rewards could be. So, just think about it you, you can get crowns, you can get treasures, whatever that is, because that's what he says lay up treasure in heaven. There's a third one. And the third one is ruling with Christ. Now, think about this ruling with Christ. When Jesus comes, He sets up a what? Kingdom, kingdom. and He rules for how long? A thousand. A thousand years. What are you going to get to do? So this is this is me. This is somebody, This is us, right? We're in the kingdom. I I used to think. I'm, I'm telling you, when I first started growing as a Christian, and then, I used to think that everybody's going to rule and reign with Christ in the heavens. We're in the kingdom. See, I, I really realized that after a while that we don't go to heaven. You might go to heaven for a brief time, but you're going to come back to the earth and rule with Him. And that's why I say we're going to all come back to the earth and rule with Him. But we're not. We're not going to all rule. Ruling implies a place of what? Of what? Responsibility, right? People who have positions of responsibility rule over what? Over other people. Uh... Do that, thank you, thank you very much, thank you. Okay, you know, we're talking about the kingdom. So, there is an aspect of ruling with Christ, these are rewards. Okay, not everybody rules with Christ. We've already seen in Matthew that there's a banquet, and what happens to some of the sons of the kingdom? They're not at the banquet, they're in outer darkness. Outer darkness means not at the banquet, so. If they're not at the banquet, how much ruling do you think they're going to get to do? You know, the book of Hebrews uses a term called metakoi, which is a Greek word which means partners. And it talks about faithful people of the metakoi. So if you're faithful, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you're going to get crowns, you're going to get treasures, and you get an opportunity to what? Rule with him. Listen to this. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. He who overcomes. Now, overcoming in the book of Revelation is not salvation. Overcoming in the book of Revelation is service and having victory in the Christian life. He who overcomes, I will grant with him to sit down on, with me on my throne. And as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You're going to get to sit on the throne. In Revelation, to overcome is service and faithfulness, sitting on my throne as the idea of ruling with him. Ruling with him. Now listen, I got another one. Luke nineteen seventeen. We're not going to turn there, but let me read them to you. Listen to this. Luke nineteen seventeen. He said, Well done, good and faithful slave, because you have been faithful in very little a uh, little things, be in authority over ten cities. What does that mean? It means he's getting to what? Rule. To rule. Listen, let me ask you something. When Jesus is the king, okay, where is he gonna be? In in the thousand year reign, where's Jesus gonna be? In Jerusalem, right? Is he going to be sitting in the... Uh, is he going to be in Jerusalem as the king of the world? You understand that? Yeah, in that little, in that little, that little place, which so many people now. it's so much anti-Semitism. I'm just amazed that it's happening and it's growing and that that's just part of the end times. It's just part of what we're going to see. It's going to get worse. And so here's Jesus sitting in Jerusalem as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And there's the whole rest of the world. Who's gonna be ruling all these other places? Who? Faithful people. Faithful people. You might say, well, I don't want to be in politics. We're not talking about politics. <laughs> this is the king. This is the king. He decides everything. Psalm 2. He rules with a rod of iron. He's the king. Whatever he says, go. And, and goes. And he's and he says all the right things. He never makes a mistake. Okay, so. Is this incredible? So there's crowns, there's treasures, there's ruling with Christ. The idea is a picture of service and responsibility. And and let me tell you, um, can you grasp what it means to serve with Jesus Christ here and for all eternity? I I can't. I mean, I, I, I know what it says. I know what it says, rule over this, get to do this, get a crown, get a reward, get treasures. Get to, I don't, I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know what all that means. It seems to me that it means reward for faithfulness, reward for service, reward for doing whatever he wants us to do, and he's got something for us. And do you remember when when he's on the earth, and, and he told him he was the king, right? And do you remember uh, James and John's mother? Do you remember her? She comes up to Jesus and she says, uh, I have two really good Jewish boys. You know that, right? When you come as the king and rule, I would like one of them to be on your right and one on your left. Do you think she thought it was going to be a real kingdom and real rulership? Was she right? Because he didn't say, there ain't going to be no kingdom like that. He said, no, you don't know what you're asking. That's prepared for somebody. Somebody. See? He he never said there wouldn't be a kingdom and he wouldn't rule. He just said that's not prepared for them. I mean that's 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 not for me to give out at this time. What will you do for all eternity? It's Revelation twenty two three. Revelation twenty two five. We will serve him forever. I remember talking to a guy, this has been about 10 years ago, and we were talking about heaven and eternity, and and, and and I wasn't emphasizing the kingdom aspect. I mean, I talked about the kingdom, and I talked about the eternal state, but in his mind, heaven was just like floating around with nothing to do. It's like I have talked to people, and they have a view. Hell is in the heart of the earth. Satan, pitchfork, red underwear, and he's down there punking people, and anytime somebody dies, they go where, where Satan is. He's... he's in the, in the middle of the earth, that's hell, and he's there. First of all, that's, none of that's true. Second is, people have this idea that heaven is you're on a cloud, you get wings somehow, probably, like, like you're an angel, and then you just, you don't really have anything to do. You're just like floating, and, and you say, what do we do for all eternity? I, gosh, I don't know. And I've had some people say, I don't know if I want to do that for all eternity. I said, don't worry, you would be doing some things based on what you did here will be based on what you do there. Because you're going to be on a new earth. A big city, new city Jerusalem, and the new heavens and a new earth. So what are we going to do forever? Serve him. Serve him. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And ride horses. Huh? And ride horses. Uh, you're going to ride horses. I'm going to be doing this. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Whatever. <laughs> and we're going to be happy doing it. Let me just tell you that. There'll be no flesh, no sin nature. So we're going to be going, whatever you say is great. Yes. Okay. If there are some unbelievers... Done some good works. Mm-hmm. What are they doing? Well, they're going to be in the lake of fire, so they're not right. going to be real happy. Okay, here's the deal when they stand before what we call the, the great white throne judgment, they are judged for their deeds. And the big question is and this is their works. And the question is, why? Why does He judge their deeds if they're going to be, if their name's not found in the book of life and it's not? If their name's not found in the book of life, they're cast into the lake of fire. So, why judge them for deeds or works if, if it doesn't really have a bearing because they're not, they're, you know, they're, they're going to be not in the book of life. So, the real question is is there levels of punishment somehow based on people's deeds? Jesus says that some of these cities will receive greater judgment. That's what he said. He said that, if you know that we're going to get to it in the book of Matthew when he talks about Capernaum and those. And he says, Capernaum, you think you did them. Let me tell you, if Sod and Gomorrah heard what you heard, they would be further, you, they, you're going to have greater condemnation. So I don't know what that means. The other, yeah, go ahead. If they did good deeds, like Cheryl said, did they get? Like, early in the shallow land? Alone? That's why they don't know. Nobody knows. Now, here's the other thing. The other reason that it could be that they are judged for the works, showing their works, is to show them that their deeds do not put them in the book of life. Because we know, you remember that passage we've already seen in Matthew, where the false prophets are there, and they said, Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not use your name? Did we not? And he says, Depart from me, I never went, never knew you. And so the bottom line is, he may be saying, See, all these things you think you're doing, that's not going to get you in the book of life. And let me tell you, there are people in this town that think by going to church, doing good deeds, being nice people, that they're going to heaven. And one of these days, I don't mean it said it's, it's gonna be so horrible, they're gonna stand before Jesus Christ there and, and they're gonna say, But but Lord, look at all the stuff that I did. And he's gonna say, I never knew you. Your name is not here. That's why this whole the lie of the devil is what? Do good and God will love you. You can't do good, he already loves you. The lie of the devil is the way you get to God is try to be a good person. That's what every religion is. Religion is man trying to please God. True Christianity is God pleasing God. God so loved the world, he gave his son. So there's a big difference. So why? Maybe maybe the unbelievers who did good works will be over ones who didn't, which won't be a very good deal anyway. Well, there's she you know, what she said is not necessarily Oh, I mean no. it could it be that <laughs> yeah. somehow the unbelievers who were might let's just say it in a human speaking, they were good people, they just never trusted Christ. They may be over the evil there are evil people, y'all know that. There are evil people out there that do and and they're not if their name's not book in the book of life, because they didn't trust Christ... And it could be that in this judgment aspect, but the truth is, we have no idea. We have no idea. I actually, I think, it's, I think it's to show, I think they are judged for their deeds to show them that deeds don't put them in the book of life. Yes? Where, when is the Great White Throne? It's Revelation chapter 20. It's right at the end of the thousand years. At the end of the thousand years, uh, uh, it's called the Great White Throne Judgment. Books are, books are open. That's the book of deeds. The book of life is open. In anyone's name not found written in the book of life is cast in a lake of fire. So that's Revelation chapter 20. So what happens to unbelievers during the one thousand years? Okay. All the other, when Jesus comes back as the king... Uh, the people who are alive on the earth are put to death. The unbelievers are put to death. During the thousand years there will be people with regular bodies and people with glorified bodies. The regular body people made it through the tribulation without getting killed. They produce offspring. Some of those offspring will believe, some of those offspring will not believe. And so even at the end of the thousand years there's a rebellion from unbelievers at the end of the thousand years. After that, any unbeliever will be raised from the dead to stand at the great white throne judgment. That's why he calls it death and Hades give up their dead. Will, will the uh, glorified bodies also produce offspring? Or? No. That offspring is going to come from regular bodies. Because once our bodies are changed, we don't produce offspring. We, we, in fact, we, as he talks about, even in the eternal state, there's not marriage or given in marriage. It's not, it's not the same. So during the thousand years, those who are not glorified bodies, do they physically die? There's a place in Isaiah that seems to indicate that they will live a long time and that if a person dies at age 100, everyone would say, oh, they died so young and we don't know and they they could sin unto death during the thousand years I, I we just don't know enough about it it's going to be weird y'all think about this every one of us will be on this earth in the thousand year reign every one of us whether whether jesus comes and gets us in that way or whatever and there will be people on the earth with regular bodies just like we have now and it's going to be it's going to be the weird it's going to be weird i mean there's never going to there's never been a time like that and there won't ever be a time like that so at the end Starting start, the thousand. Starting the thousand years. So at the beginning of a thousand year reign, it's Christ and believers. And the believers have glorified bodies, and the believers have non glorified bodies. A very, it's going to be a fewer because they're going. The people with non glorified bodies are the ones that survive the tribulation. Not going to be a whole lot of them. Yeah, and we're all going to be coming back, going, <laughs> we got glorified bodies. Okay, uh, any questions? I'm, I'm just trying to see where we are, time wise. Not sure we're halfway through yet. What? Yeah. Nope, I don't have a you don't? Crowns. Huh? What about crowns? Okay, 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 she's ready for the crowns. <laughs> Crown him with many crowns. So let's talk about, since since we see there are going to be crowns, treasure, or ruling with Christ, let's talk about crowns because people hear about them all the time, and the Bible actually mentions Crown. It, it talks about them. So let, let's talk about this word. It's the word Stephanos. Remember, what's the two words for crown? Diadem, Diadem and Stephanos. Okay. Now, so there are four. There, there are at least four crowns that we can see in the Bible, and I want to list them for you. And we don't want to take all the time to go there. But one, the first one is called the crown of joy. The crown of joy. It's First Thessalonians chapter two, verses nineteen and twenty. Okay. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. And here's what, here's what Paul, he's talking about these people that, and best we can tell, this is a crown, a reward you get for leading someone to Christ. Listen to what he says. Paul is writing and he says, "What is our hope, our joy? What is our crown of exultation is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? You are our glory and our joy." He's talking to Thessalonians, the people he led to Christ. And so he's saying when joy, when Jesus comes, who's what's going to be my crown? My crown is you they basically rewards for leading people to Christ. Okay? That's the best we can see. And and Philippians 4 1 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and my crown. So believers, some if you led somebody to Christ, they're your crown. That's called the crown of joy. What about if you You should. Well, that's, that's different rewards, apparently. This, this is the only thing I'm just telling you that there's places that it talks about getting a crown, and there are four of them, and this is, this is one of them, okay? So, and it's called the crown of what? Joy. Crown of joy. And why is it joy, I wonder? Because you, did, you, somebody, you led somebody to Christ, and you're going, wow, this is my joy, okay? There's a second one. It's called the crown of righteousness, The crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Let me get over there to read to you. And this is... And listen, let me read it to you. And you tell me what you think it is. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. It's called the crown of righteousness. Listen to this. Paul is writing. He says, I fought the good fight. I finished the course. I've kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me. And he's awarding. Why? Uh, And and on that day, and not only me, but to all who have loved his appearing. They're looking forward to him coming. They're fighting the fight. They're living righteously. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And he's going to give a crown, a reward for living righteously in a fallen world. That's us, right? That's tough. So that's good. So, and, and so if you said, man, I've, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to live for the Lord. I, I'm fought the fight. I've, I'm living for, and he's going to say, well done. Here's a crown. Okay. There's a third one. There's a third one. And it's called the crown of life. The crown of life. And it's the book of James chapter one, verse 12. James chapter one, verse 12. And here's what it says. Wait a minute, that's not, oh, it'd be better if I was in James instead of another book, because I thought, I didn't write. Okay, it <laughs> says, this. and by the way, this crown, tell me what this crown is for. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for he has been approved, dakimas. he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How do you get that crown? You what? Persevere under what? In trials, when you trust Christ in the trials, you're going to get a reward. You're going to get the crown of life. Also, in First Peter, if you want to just write some verses down, First Peter three seventeen, and then First Peter four verses fourteen through sixteen, he talks about uh, standing strong and getting rewarded. Uh, let me read First Peter three seventeen for you. He says. If for it's better, if God will it, that you suffer for doing what's right than doing what's wrong. This is suffering and living righteously. And over in chapter 4, he says the same kind of thing. He says, if you're going to suffer, make sure it's because you're not doing sin, but it's because you're living righteously. And, you know, you can suffer for sin because you do wrong, and you can also suffer because you're doing right, and you get the crown of life. There's Yeah, go ahead, yeah. Okay, say that again. I'm sorry. Trials is not necessarily because we are we are being persecuted because of uh, of our faith. Uh, trials could be just hardship. It could be. Not- I think that when Paul wrote this to these people, they were suffering some persecution. You've suffered persecution. You you know what it's like. But it also is basically trusting Him. What in trials of life. And you know you you can go two ways. Anytime something happens to you, you can say that's it. If that's the way God's going to treat me, I'm that's it. Or you can say, Lord, I just got to trust you. I don't understand it, but I'm trusting you. And we've seen people go both ways. And, you know, it breaks your heart when they go one way and just say, if I, I've had people come to me and say, well, this, when I was 12, this happened. And I said, if that's God, then I'm through with him. Okay. What did you do then? You know, or if, when they were 15. Or do people say, Lord, I've just got to trust you. I don't, I don't know what's going on. I don't even know why it's happening. What did Job do? Think about Job. What did he do? He said, Lord gives, Lord take away, blessed be the name of the Lord. But what does his wife say? Purse Curse God and die. He said, what's the matter with you? Uh, he said, Lord, can we talk to, to about this uh, woman right here? But, I mean, the bottom line is he trusted God through everything. seems like the trials would be uh, looking at like James uh, 1, like 2 through yeah. 8 trials. Yeah. Well, a trial. You know what? What is a trial? It's some kind of suffering, some kind of problem, some kind of issue, something that God allows into your life. Now, one of the things we got to got to understand is, uh, anything that ever comes in our life, has God allowed that? Mm-hmm. Look, nothing can touch you. Now, it may it, it may be somebody horrible, and God allows it. It's not that God's making them do that, but God allows things, and so we have to trust Him no matter what it goes on in our lives. Because He, it, it's like Joseph said. What did he say when his brothers? He said, "Listen, you meant it for what?" Evil, God meant it for good, and he does that in everything. God causes all things to work together for good, not to everybody, but to those who love him. Exactly. These are called according to his purposes and love him. I mean, so sometimes in our lives we go, Lord, I don't know why you're allowing this, but I'm going to trust you. And he'll say, don't, you're going to get a crown of life you can going to get a crown of life. The last one is called the crown of glory. And it's in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. It's called the crown of glory. And this is, are you ready for this one? This is a crown for shepherding other people, for helping other people, for shepherding the flock. Now, most people, when you say shepherd the flock, who do you think of? Huh? Huh? The pastor, you think of the, this is for everybody. Listen to this. He's writing, uh, Peter's writing and he says, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. And then he says, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Can you shepherd people? Can you disciple people? Can you love people? Can you minister to people? Can you be there for people? Of course you can. All of us can. And when you're shepherding people, when you're when you're helping them, that you'll get a crown, a crown of glory. Now, what these crowns are, I have no idea. I think it's possibly symbolic. What, when you think of a crown, what do you think of? You think of a diadem where you're ruling. This is a Stephanos, which is a reward. And he uses that term because he's saying, this is a reward for your service. So, we've got crowns, you, you've got treasures, you've got, Maybe they're like rings. huh? Maybe they're like, rings. like what? Rings. rings. Well, I, I don't know, I know this, that it's symbolic in the book of Revelation when the 24 elders are around the throne, and what did they do? They take their crowns and cast them down. That doesn't mean they give up their rewards. It means they're recognizing that their rewards came from the one that they're worshiping. You know, I've had people say, you don't get to keep your rewards, you give them back to him. I said, it doesn't say that. It says they take their crowns off. It's like saying, thank you. You're the one that gave it to me. So whether they're going to be a real crown, I don't know. I think it's just going to be rewards. I think it's going to be places of responsibility. That's what I think. But... What do I know? Anyway, so anyway, because he doesn't tell us. Now, let me give you a few applications, and then we're going to roll through the last part pretty fast. But the first application, number one, this is for the idea of rewards. We are accountable to God. Just think about that. We're accountable to God. One day, we're going to stand before him, and uh, we're going to be accountable. We're going to give an account of our lives. And here's the question that we got to ask, and we all know we fail, but the question is, are we living a life that is pleasing to God? Because what did Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 9? Our ambition, our goal is to, whether we're absent or present, to be pleasing to Him. Okay. So, that's the first one. Number two, we are to go after rewards. You want them? Go after him. How do you go after him? How do you go after him? How are you going to get reward? Be faithful. Serve him. Just, yeah, say, Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll do it. I'm going after him. He says, run the race that you may get the what? Get the prize. Listen to this. Galatians 6, 9. Do not lose heart in doing what? Good. Why? For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. reap, reap what? Rewards. Exactly. He says, so then, while we have opportunity, do good to all people, especially the believers. That's what he says. That's amazing. So, should you run the race to get the prize? Should you get rewards? Is that selfish to get rewards? No. He said, you better get them. I don't want you standing over there in the outer darkness going, that looks like chicken. I think it's chicken. What do you think? Is it chicken? I don't know what it. Right? <laughs> so... Yeah, something. It's going to be probably whatever you want. I'm saying some shrimp and steak and whatever. Okay, number three, we will be rewarded. We will be rewarded. Why, this is not dealing with sin. This is not dealing with sin. This is dealing with our works. We will be rewarded. Worthless or good? What we're producing or what is being burned up. Some things will be lasting. Some things will be burned up. Our works will be tested how? How will our works be tested by fire. That's what it says. And if it lasts, if it's gold, silver, precious stone, that's that's good stuff. It, it lasts. If it's wood, hay, or straw, it's gone. And so when you stand before him and here's the pile and it goes, <laughs> and you go, wow, that was hot. Yeah, that was hot. Okay, come on in. Where am I going? You're not at the banquet. <laughs> wow. You don't have plans tonight. Yeah, Yeah, do what? You don't, yeah, yeah, you don't have plans tonight <laughs> just, just, you'll be outside I think time the marriage of the I of the Lamb is at the very beginning of the thousand years so when somebody says are they going to be out, out of everything for the rest of the no but they're going to have a place of responsibility and I, I, I mean I don't mean this in a bad way but the people at the banquet are going to have the best positions why, why are they going to have the best positions they were faithful servants you know, he, every parable that he gives, and there's a faithful and unfaithful servant, what does the faithful servant get? More. What does the unfaithful servant get? Nothing. So a guy comes in, and he had ten, and this guy took the one, hit it. So he says, to give this guy one, give it to the guy that's got ten. Now he's got eleven. The guy got nothing. He said, well, you didn't use it. You put it in the ground. You hit it. That'd be like saying, all your gifts, talents, abilities, guess what you did with them? You hit them. You didn't use them. He says, if you didn't use them, I'm going to give them some, you know, you're not going to get any rewarded for it. Okay, let's do this. Let's talk about relationships and we can go real fast. we got, we still got 15 minutes. We're, this is amazing, isn't it? Oh, do we have seven pages left to go? Oh, my God. Uh, okay, two and a half. We got, oh, this is, we're downhill, baby. We're downhill. Now, let's talk about this. This is one of my favorite things to talk about, and that's the key relationships in the body. How important is our relationships? I mean, it's amazing. And, and think about Proverbs twenty two seventeen. Anybody remember that one? As iron sharpened iron, so one man sharpens another. That, who, let me tell you what. Whoever you're going to hang around, that's who you're going to be like. Just face it. You hang around a person that's, uh, uh, that's uh, always mad, a person that's not on fire for Christ, a person that loves the world, you're going to end up just like them that old birds of a feather flock together. That was going to happen. Let me You hang around with somebody that's on fire and memorizing verses and y'all doing Bible studies together and they go in and say, let's go do this. You're going to get pumped up. And see, so whoever you're with is going to be sharpening you one way or the other. And so we need to be sharpened. Every one of us need people in our lives that are really helping us. And so I've got three key relationships that you need. Number one, A or A, is a mentor. A mentor. Okay? And that's... And you can write out beside it, one who disciples. Okay, that's somebody that's discipling you. That's a mentor to you, okay? B, everybody needs an encourager. An encourager. And we know what that means. It's the one who exhorts. It's the one who helps you keep going. And then C, everyone needs a disciple. And that's one that you're discipling. And in your life right now, as we look through these three things, ask yourself a question. Do you have these three relationships in your life? Do you have the mentor? Do you have the encourager? And do you have the disciple? Okay, let's talk about them. And and, uh, I'll go pretty quickly. But let's talk about first the mentor. So A is the mentor, okay? And I'm going to give you four things. And then uh, we could do this. You don't, you could... Let me just say this. I'm going to list the four things right there, and then we're going to get the four things on the next page. So if you want to just save time, just put next page, okay? Because instead of me saying, let me give you the four things, and then we give you the four things on the next page, let's just save time by going over. Here's, here's the four things, and here's the first one of the four things. We follow their... This is of the mentor. We follow their example. A mentor is somebody that you look to and you follow their example. You see how they live their life. You see what they do with their life. You see, uh, you look at the patterns. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians. He said, imitate Christ. Now, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, do you feel comfortable telling anybody to imitate you as you imitate Christ? You might say, I don't think I'm quite there yet. But what did he say? He He said to the guys, look at me. Look how I'm trying to live. The word imitate is mimikai, which we get mimicked from. And he's saying, be like me as I'm trying to be like Christ. The person who is our mentor should be somebody further down the road that we look at them and say, I, I want to be like them. And I don't, I'm not talking about personality. I'm, not, I'm saying, this person has a heart for God. This person wants to grow. This person studies the Bible. This person, they're helping me. Say, I want to be like them. I want to be that same kind of person. I went to Dallas Seminary, and before I went to seminary, there was a professor that I read his books. His name was Howard Hendricks. He's been like a hero, you know, and, and I would read Ryrie, and I'd read Walvoord. I'd read these guys at Dallas Seminary, but when I but Prof. Hendricks, he was kind of the one. And so I got to seminary, and listen, I had been out of school 10 years. I was a single guy. I had no money, had nothing. I got to school. It was really tough. I had a test every day and a paper every day, every day. And my tests were, I had a Greek test every day. I had a Greek class every day, and I had tests every day, I had a paper every day, and I had Prof. Hendricks. And I went in that class, and Prof. would come in, and he'd go, okay, men, let's get going. And then he would just start talking. And he was such a great teacher. He was one of the greatest. And so one day, I'm, I'm sitting there uh, at uh, at lunch, and a guy comes up to me and says, hey, you want to be in a special Bible study? And I said, of course not. I said, I'm already taking, I'm taking 19 hours graduate with Greek, and I'm working 30 hours a week, and I barely have time to do anything. And I said, probably not. And he said, it's with Prof. Hendricks. I said, of course I will. <laughs> and he said, okay, hey, see, a lot of guys would go to Prof. Hendricks, and they would say, would you meet with this Prof? And he'd say, I sure will. Uh, how about 5 o'clock Wednesday morning? And most would go, uh, now nah, Prof, we can't, because he knew everybody wanted to meet with him, but are they really people who really want to meet? And so the guy said, it's going to be 5 o'clock Wednesday morning. I said, I'll be right there. And so we met in his office, 12 of us. We actually had a room, you know, a little conference room down from his office. And for about a year, I met with Prof Hendricks every Wednesday morning, 5 o'clock. Got there, by the way, remember, early, never never walking in at 5, 445 at least, and Why would I want to do that? Because that guy is the guy you want to be sharpened by. He was an amazing person. And so you want somebody, you want somebody who's gonna, that that you want to be like them, that there's a pattern, that how they buy, how they study, how they work, how they think, how they live. So that the first thing of a mentor is that that's the person you want to be like, okay? You want to follow their example. Number two, they need to be, and they need to be a kindred spirit. Okay, do y'all know what that means? Kindred spirit—that means the idea that that you match. It's when Paul talked about Timothy, in in, uh, in in Philippians, Paul says, "I hope to send Timothy to you, for I have no one else of a kindred spirit." He said he matched me. And, and if somebody's going to be like a mentor to you, somebody's going to be somebody you're going to hang around, somebody's going to be somebody that helps disciple you, so to speak, you got to match them. You, in other words, you've got you to gotta think sort of the same way. You've got to have the same ideas. You've you got to match. you got to be a kindred spirit. Okay? Does that make sense? And because some people you don't match, you know, and, and that's why you can't just say, okay, here's what I want you all two to meet, and I want you all to start discipling each other or something. That won't necessarily work. You've got you got to find somebody. you gotta, you just got to come together, you know. And so the second one is have the kindred spirit. The third one and this one is the goal is to learn the Word of God. That's the key because it's the foundation for everything. That's why I have 2 Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman not in the ashamed, handling accurately the Word of God. So you guys, that's what you do. Listen, when you disciple people, don't sit around and just talk about the weather. And don't talk about politics. Talk about the Bible. Teach people the Bible. The, the person We're using the mentor idea to us now. That mentor person ought to be saying, let's get into Scripture. Let's see what it says. Let's put it together. Let's see how it fits. Let's put it that way. 2 Timothy 2.2, take what you've been taught and what? Teach other people. 2 Timothy 3.14, continue in the things you have learned and have been taught. So that's the mentor. The mentor is going to be teaching us. The fourth thing with the mentor is we serve with them. We serve with them. It's not that they, um, they just give us theory. The person who's kind of mentoring us... They, we with it. We get with them. Philippians 2:2. 2, 2, 2, uh, excuse me. Philippians 2:22. Paul talks about Timothy and says, "You know how he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel." Paul was the mentor to Timothy. He was, and so you got to have a Paul in your life. So here's my question to you: Who's your Paul? Who's your Paul? Who's further along the road of the Christian life than you are? And you'd say, I want to get with this person. I want to. I want to. I want to. I want to see what they do. I kind of want to be like them. I want to follow the example. I want to. I want to be a kindred spirit with them. I want to learn from them and help put this stuff together. And and I want to. I want to serve with them. So everybody, every one of us, to you, so you ask yourself a question: Who is your Paul? Okay, that takes us to B. Okay, and this is the encourager, the encourager. This is this is really a Barnabas. Because the name Barnabas means son of encouragement. He was an encourager. In fact, I'm going to show you what he did, and that's what an encourager does. And let me tell you this. All of us need a mentor. Every one of us also need an encourager. Somebody that's going to say, you can do it. We're right here with you. You can do it. I know you can do it. So three things on the encourager, and, and that's the one, two, three, so skip that because we're going to put the one, two, three next, So okay? So the big number one, just kind of go down that page. Number one is they believe in us when other people don't. You know, have you ever had somebody believe in you when other people didn't? And and, and they say to you, you can do this, and other people are telling you you can't do it. But the encourager, this guy says, you can do it. I know you can do it. If y'all anybody hears... Um, Sunday morning at Grow Groups, and I, and I introduced Rodney. who was in the back. Rodney Chris, he's my friend. He was on my staff. He was my youth pastor for five years, oh, 20-something years ago. He's been a pastor. But Rodney had a little say, and he was real funny. He's he's one of the, one of the greatest guys I've ever known, and he would go, you can do it. That's so how he would say, you can do it, you know, and, and, and that's, it's really true. Uh, the encourager says, you can do it. And and you think about it, uh, uh, Barnabas means son of consolation and Barnabas uh, took two people out of nowhere, a guy by the name of Paul and a guy by the name of John Mark. He took those two guys and when nobody else cared about them, he took them and he discipled them and he encouraged them and helped them make it. uh, So the number one is he encourages them even when other people don't. Let me tell you this, do you remember what happened to Paul? Paul is hating the Christians, right? He's going after the way. He's on his way to where to get him. Anybody know? The road to Damascus. He, on the way there, Jesus Christ appears to him, blinds him. They take him into the city three days. He can't see. Another guy comes up to him and, 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 and touches him. Uh, Ananias touches him, and he can now see. And then he starts standing strong, and he's, he's disputing these religious people, and he's telling them about Christ and everything. And he decides to go back to Jerusalem. And he goes back to Jerusalem and says, hey, I'm back, and, and now I'm a believer in Christ. And they all said, we don't, uh-huh, we don't believe anything about you. Guess who came and said, this guy's for real. Who said it? Barnabas. Barnabas came in and said, I know what he's done. I've watched him up there. He's one of us. It was Barnabas. Barnabas believed in Paul when nobody else believed in Paul. And if you want to write that down, <clears throat> put down Acts 9, 20 through about 27, okay, Nine twenty 20 through 27, and that gives you that little story, and I, we just don't want to go to all those verses, but he's the one that just reached out and took Paul. The second thing that they do, and I think it's at the top of the next page, is that they encourage us to grow. They encourage us to grow. Remember, we know a mentor is helping us grow, but an encourager says, you can do it. Keep growing. In Acts chapter 11, it says this, that Barnabas went up to Antioch, and it says he witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he began to encourage them all to remain true to the Lord. The word encourage means to, to it's parableia, which means to come, belong, or come alongside of. And, and, and uh, that's what he did. He encouraged everybody to grow. So bar, bar, you need a Barnabas that says, you can do it. You need a barber that says, you can grow. You you can do it. I know you can. I know you can do it. I know you can grow. And then the third thing is they encourage us to be involved in ministry. That's what this encourager does. The encourager doesn't say, go home, stay by yourself. The encourager says, you need to get involved in ministry. You need to get plugged in. And let me tell you what. Did you know that when Barnabas went up to Antioch and he told the people you need to grow and they all went okay and so he started teaching them and it got so big he said I need help. I wonder who I can go get. you know who he went and got? Who did he go get? Anybody know? He went and got Paul. Went and got Paul and said come over here. I, you need to help me do ministry. That's what an encourager does. Who in your life is encouraging you as you seek to grow as a Christian? Who in your life is discipling you, is your mentor, is someone you're looking for, someone who says, I'm looking for them, I want to be like them, I want to serve with them, I want to have that kindred spirit, I want to do all this, but who else is now beside you that says, you can do it, get involved, start serving, I believe in you, even if other people don't believe in you. And then that takes us to the last one, that C. And there are four things there. Instead of writing them down, I'm going to give you them. Just do what like we've been doing. The, the C is the, the Timothy, the disciple, someone that we're discipling. And let me tell you, most of you in this room could say, well, I'd be willing to have somebody help disciple me. You'd say that. And many of you in this room would say, I'd really love somebody to encourage me. But when it comes down to this third one and it says, you need to be discipling someone else, almost everyone says, um, I'm not ready. I need to take the two two for seven more times before. That's what we think. But we need to be discipling. And so I've got four things. The first one is, why have a Timothy? Go back down to here. Remember, you've already got the. Oh, that's yeah. the right, why have a Timothy? Well, I have a Timothy. There's an A and a B, the A. It's commanded to disciple people. Where? That's exactly Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. You know, Doug's exactly right. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go and make disciples. Making discipleship is, is, making disciples is evangelism and training. And so if you don't have a Timothy, if you're not discipling somebody, guess what? You're not doing what you're supposed to do. We're all supposed to have disciples, right? That's why we got that mentor discipling us. We got that encourager helping us make it. Then we got the one that we're discipling. It's commanded. B, B, it's to continue the message and ministry of Jesus Christ. This is only how it works to continue the message and ministry of Jesus Christ. What if nobody after us trusts in Christ? What if we don't lead anybody else to Christ and disciple them? What if none of us lead anybody to Christ and disciple them? What if no Christians on this earth lead anybody to Christ and disciple them? What happens? It's the end of Christianity. Right? What if, what if, the, what if the, the, the 11 said, it's good while it lasted? And that was it. We'd never even know about Christ. We'd never know anything. What if those 11 didn't go out? What if they didn't die for Jesus Christ? What if they passed that word on in others and there were so many who were willing to die and proclaim the, the, the message of Jesus Christ? And what if somebody hadn't told you? Think right now. Who told you about Jesus Christ? What if they hadn't? Who told you? And so who are you telling? Who are you discipling? Who are you helping train up to take the message on? So why in the world do we... do uh, do we have a Timothy? It's because why. What two reasons? Hm. It's commanded, and it carries the message on. OK? Number two. What do we look for in a Timothy, okay? What do we look for in a Timothy? I'm going to have to go a little faster. What do we look for in a Timothy, okay? You gotta a is you got to find somebody that matches you, okay? The kindred spirit idea. If you're going to disciple somebody, you're going to meet with them, you're going to spend time with them, you're going to help them grow. It needs to be a person you like. It needs to be a person you match. It, it, you can't dread going to be with that person and go, ah, don't even want to meet with them, but I'm supposed to. No, You. this is somebody you love. This is somebody you like. This is somebody you connect with. Okay, then there's B. You're looking for... Now, this is going to sound bad, but I'll explain it. You're looking for fat people, okay? B, fat people. And the fat is... Got it down there. The F stands for faithful. The A stands for available. And the T stands for teachable. That's who you're looking for. Faithful, available, teachable. I just want you to know that in Acts 16, Paul comes... To a, a town called Derby and Lystra, and he hears about a young guy named Timothy, and they said this guy is faithful, and he's ready. To, and Paul says, "Would you like to go with me on the trip?" And the guy goes, "Would I? Yeah, I'll go." That's what you're looking for. People, listen. You can't. You can't decide. Second Timothy two two. anybody know what it says? Take the things you've been taught and entrust these two faithful people. They didn't say entrust them to everybody. Because you can't entrust it to somebody who's not faithful because you say, let's meet. They don't ever show up. They're not faithful. Okay? All right, number three. Oh, we got those right. Yeah, we got them. Okay, number three, the plan. What do we do? What do we do? Okay, this is the plan. And I'm going to go fast. The plan is this. Teach the Word. 2 Timothy two two one 1 and 2. Teach the Word. Be strong in the grace of God. Teach the Word of God. That's what you do. You teach in the Bible. Now let's say this, where are you learning the Bible? From your Paul, yeah, or, yeah I mean, let's just say you go to church, you learn, you' on a Bible study, you learn, you' got a mentor that's helping you. you're taking all this information, and you're not just storing it up, your job is to what? Pass it on, take what you know, and pass it on. So that's the goal. And then the last thing number four is the charge, and that is, what do we want them to do? We want them to continue in the faith. So what is the charge? What do we want our disciple to do? And I've got it down at the bottom right there. Are you ready? And do those three things, study the Word, live out the Word. Y'all know where we are? We're okay? Yeah, we're down where it says, under four, where it says study the Word, live out the Word, proclaim the Word. And let me give you some verses where it says study the Word, just write 2 Timothy 2.15. Where it says live out the Word write 2 Timothy 2.22. And then where it says proclaim the word, write 2 Timothy 4.2. Yeah. Do you think that Timothy was Paul's Timothy? <laughs> it's all over the place. Huh? Second uh, Timothy 4.2. Guess what you need in your life? You need a Barnabas? You need a Paul. You need a Timothy. So here's the question: Who's your Paul? Who's your Barnabas? And who's your Timothy? And 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 God, you tell Lord, Lord, please help bring people into my life. Help find somebody. Help me meet somebody that can help me grow. Help me meet somebody that together we can encourage each other. And help me find someone that I can take truths. And pass on what I'm learning and what I'm knowing. You'll never be the same. You have to have those relationships. So as we end, here's the the summary and the challenge. So number four, the big number four is summary and challenge. This is sort of the the end of the thing. And we've gone over about five minutes, so I'm so sorry. But anyway, here we go. Here we go. Let's walk worthy of our calling. Walk worthy of our calling. Ephesians 4.11 this is, this is about the Christian life now. This is summarized in this study. Walk worthy of our calling. What's our calling? We're children of God. Walk worthy of our calling. We're saints. We're, we're holy ones. We're new creations in Christ. We've got to live out who we are. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. Right? So we've got to live out who we are. Walk worthy of our calling. B, run the race with endurance. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Everybody thinks the Christian life is a is a sprint. They get all pumped. How many times have you seen... I, listen, as a pastor for 30-something years, I've seen people come in the door, and they're so pumped. Oh, I'm so excited. How long is church going to last? I can't, well, can we come back again tomorrow? No, no, you can't. Anyway, and three weeks later, you can't find them. See, because they thought the Christian life was this all energy, all excitement, all one big thing, and then they realized that It's not. It's an endurance run. It's run the race with endurance, looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We run the race with endurance. We take whatever's slowing us down and get it out of our lives. So run the race with endurance. C. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. That's second, by the way, that's 2 Peter 3:18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. Grace and knowledge you got to grow in grace, because sometimes when Christians start growing, they get legalistic, because somebody told them they had to keep all these rules, and all of a sudden they get legalistic, and then they're no fun to be around at all. And, and then you don't want to be around them, and then, you, then, and then they go out into the world, and they look mad all the time, and they say something like, I'm such a happy Christian, and you go, well, you need to tell your face, because it doesn't look happy at all, right? I mean, it's terrible what happens. We, we need to have the joy of His salvation, Last but not least, be faithful. 1 Corinthians 4.2 It is required of stewards to be found faithful. We want to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant.